Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our, our guest today, John Harris, has become a, a, a new, a good friend. And um, he, he's the host of the podcast, Conversations That Matter. John Harris covers the entire breadth of ideologies when it comes to orthodoxy, church history, theology, wokeism. I, I think it was Chesterton who said, happy is he who knows not only the hidden causes of things, but who has not lost touch with their beginnings. And John Harris is in touch with the beginnings of ideas, um, both biblically and culturally and historically. Um, and listen, if you're kind of uh, in the middle and, you, and you're not sure whether we should get fully behind a political party because your pastor told you you shouldn't be political, um, maybe this episode will challenge you to rethink some of these ideas and, and give you the courage and talking points with your friends, family members, coworkers, and maybe your senior pastor of your church who you don't understand why he won't speak up. You're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Before we bring John onto the show today, I want to tell you about our new sponsor here at Unaborted. That is Every Life, America's pro-life diaper company. Every major diaper company in America, ready for this, donates, supports, and funds the abortion industry. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, even if you're a Bernie Sanders kooky communist Marxist, that doesn't make sense. It's like Disney paying for their employees to go get abortions. You're literally helping murder your future clientele base. So Every Life is the only major America pro-life diaper company, the only premium baby brand that is unapologetically pro-life, high-performing, supremely soft diapers and wipes that protect and celebrate every miraculous life. As Christians and pro-lifers, we need to use our money to support a culture of life, to defund the woke corporatism culture of death that actually feeds the beast in the first place. So you can use my code SETH10, SETH10, S-E-T-H, SETH10. Go to everylife.com, everylife.com, our new sponsor here at Unaborted, and use the code SETH10 for 10% off your first order. Uh, this is how we fight back. This is the way. Um, all right. Hey, John, welcome to the show today, brother. Um, so good to have you on, and, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me so much, Seth. It's uh, an honor to be on. You've been doing some great yeoman's work in the pro-life slash anti-abortion movement. I enjoy seeing, especially on Instagram. I'm not as, as big on Instagram. I have an account, but every time I log in, I see your videos, and I always watch them because they're always so good. So, uh, yeah, just thanks for being a light and for challenging really what what is the worst scourge I think we have in this country, which, of course, is abortion, euthanasia, the devaluing of life, killing off our own and we got to stop. So, um, so anyway, uh, it's an honor to be with you. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, when, whenever, uh, people come to me, John, and they're like, Hey, so my pastor said this, or so-and-so said this, or, uh, or what's going on with, uh, with Ed Stetzer as the new Dean at Biola, which we're going to get into. And, and people, you know, ask me like, uh, do you know what's going on here, Seth? I say, you need to go to Conversations That Matter. You need to go listen to John Harris's podcast. He, he was carefully and graciously, right? You're not, you're not a jerk. Like you're, you're very gracious and, and kind and you assume the best of people, but like you get deep into ideas and, and you actually cover what people say. And you've had episodes called What Happened to Tim Keller? That's one of your more popular episodes where you kind of like say, OK, so like here's what he said historically. How does that impact his uh, political engagement or lack thereof? 
you know, and the, the double standards, who were some of his influences and some of their Marxist leanings. Like <clears throat> you get really deep into these ideas to understand how we got here. And so and so I, and I so appreciate that. And especially as as a Christian, we have to understand, like, it's the role of the church to tear down the high places like we, like pro, the pro-life movement can't keep waiting for pregnancy resource centers to do the work that God's called the bride of Christ to do. Uh, and so that's why I, I always talk about these ideas on the podcast, because I, I, I while I reject whole lifeism, um, <laughs> right, it's just like, if you're really pro-life, you would also support universal health care and, uh, and Bernie Sanders socialism and say that cops suck and should be defunded because they're racist. And so that's a life issue. Like, I, obviously, I reject the whole life gospel coalition, like redefinition of pro-life they've tried to do. But I also believe that, like, you can't fully address some of these evils without seeing how they all coalesce and, and how they impact one another. And and particularly how the church has, has slowly drifted um, into accepting, I mean, lies, false ideas right. based on false data and false talking points and just accepted it because culture is to us what water is to a fish. But, uh, but before we get into all of that, why don't you tell people, uh, I want people to, for your first time on the show, to know a little bit about, about you if they don't listen to Conversations That Matter. Uh, give us just a little primer on your background uh, and, and why you decided to become this thought leader, speaker, author, YouTuber, specifically covering the, 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 the leftward drift and Overton leftist Overton window within the, the American church. So yeah, people can go to johnharrispodcast.com. If you want to see more, you can get my books there. You can um, read a little bit about me. Uh, I, it's pretty straightforward. I went to seminary. I saw the woke stuff come in while I was there. I thought it was a problem. I didn't see people stand up to it. After I graduated, I decided to expose some of it through prayer and counsel. And then I went public and uh, that became viral. That's where my um, platform on YouTube and and on iTunes and, and that kind of thing started. Uh, I went to uh, Liberty University, got a master's in history there. And um, part of my thesis turned into this book, Social Justice Goes to Church. So I, I think this came out in like 2019, something like that. Really? And um, that this is more of a history of what took place in the 1960s, late 60s, 70s, up through the 80s in evangelicalism, where a lot of these ideas are being introduced that now are popular and kind of taken for granted in many institutions, but they were new, uh, relatively new, and uh, they weren't popular. And so I traced the origins of that. And so Ed Stetzer's name actually does come up a number of times in this book. And then um, this book, Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict, uh, this came out, I guess, two years ago, I think, uh, almost. And this is a this is the one I tell people they should start with because uh, this is the fruit of my podcasts. And really, I just try to consolidate everything that I've said about uh, warning about social justice and the effects that it has in, into these books. And so we talk about uh, the epistemology, the metaphysics, the um, teleology, the morality, all of that uh, of social justice and and compare it to what Christians have believed for two millennium and show that there is a difference there. And so it's more of an apologetics. The other one's a history. So those, those are the two, I guess, brilliant. major contributions I've had. That's brilliant. John, when were you in seminary when you started seeing some of this stuff? I mean, I saw a little bit of it in 2014 when I first started at Southeastern. Um, it wasn't until after Donald Trump's election. So 2017, when... 
things really got, it was like someone flipped a switch and it got overwhelming and uh, you would log into your student account and there'd be an article that said that, you know, 10 ways you might be racist and not know it. And you click on it and you're like, well, if you live in a white area or just things like that, wow. um, they were against, uh, you know, monuments, they were for illegal migration in, in various podcasts or events or speakers in chapel. Uh, they were, now they weren't like, they were, they were pro-life still. They weren't like saying abortion was good or anything like that. I know that happens in other places, but you, you can't go quite that far that fast <laughs> with a group of yeah. people who have grown up um, that way. And I, I don't know, I, I would say a lot of those people probably would have been against abortion, if not all of them. But, um, but on these other issues where they didn't have, I think, a fully formed political uh, or public theology or understanding of politics, they were kind of um, taken advantage of. And because of that, I think indirectly, it does undermine the pro-life stuff because what happens is you get people like Karen Swallow Pryor, who is a professor there up yeah. until recently, who um, is accepted and defended and she's endorsed Revoice Theology. She's uh, also, she one of her big things is this holistic approach to pro-life where, as you just rightly, I think, pointed out, every single issue gets kind of pigeonholed into that. And, and that's the, um, so, so if you want to persuade Christians to do something politically, then there's like two ways to go about it. You either say it's a gospel issue or you say that uh, it's part of the pro-life agenda. Those are like the two good things, <laughs> like historically in, in conservative Christianity. Wow. And and I, and they're doing both. They're, they're taking both of those issues and they're watering them down to try to get Christians to go left on certain issues. And in so doing, you undermine the pro-life movement. It, it's not as um, if saving babies from being murdered is just as important as reforming police departments or something, then it, it brings down the level of threat of, that's right. I, I think, of saving babies and, and how important that work is. Yeah, that's well said. So um, the Gospel Coalition did a good faith debate series, a good faith conversation thingy, uh, like a year and a half ago or something like that. You may remember it. Yeah. And you you discussed it. I think A.D. Robles discussed it. And actually, my former boss um, before I, I started the White Rose Resistance, uh, Scott Klusendorf, was representing the, the historic pro-life position uh, and definition, which is uh, to live, speak, and act as if abortion is wrong. <laughs> that's all that's right. needed to be truly pro-life. <clears throat> Excuse me. You don't have to, you don't have to like support like other specific um, leftist social agendas in order to be truly pro-life. Um, and Karen Swallow Pryor represented the sort of inclusive, seamless garment of grace kind of whole life perspective, which is what we were talking about. And I've talked about this on the show for, for longtime listeners of this podcast, actually, uh, John, I had a debate. Oh my gosh, I don't think I ever told you this. Um, three years ago or something no two years ago so 2020 yeah well almost three years ago. i guess it was during the the scamdemic shutdowns and it was with michael michael something you've seen his name come up he's a he's a he's a big lib uh christian anti-gun professor um okay. and he runs in some of the same circles with uh with stetzer and david french i'm for i'm forgetting what university he's from right now and we actually had a debate Michael Ware? This. Was it Michael Ware? No, no. I'll send it to you later. But okay. um, and <clears throat> he says he's pro-life and that's why he's anti-gun, right? Because that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, um, right. and and so we actually had a debate hosted by uh Hank Hanegraaff's uh thingy with um the 
magazine and the podcast that they do over there. And it, th this was the debate was, uh, what does it mean to be truly pro-life? Do, do you have to do A, B, C, D, E or support A, B, C, D, E or defend A, B, C, D, E? Or do you, can, do you, can you just say abortion is murdering babies and, and the pro-life movement <clears throat> should exhaust all of its time and resources explicitly aimed towards ending that injustice? And and uh, this guy was debating. He he. I had I did my research before the debate, uh, and I had found this piece he wrote after George Floyd, where he said that um, that Black Lives Matter uh, doesn't need to do A B C D E um, or even support like the pro life stuff because uh. like the specific threat right now he said in his article right now is that Black lives are endangered. Um, from from white police officers who are who are apparently shot and killed at a disproportionate rate, um, and he said to say that their lives matter does not in any way insinuate that other lives don't matter, um, or that or that Black Lives Matter BLM Incorporated must adopt a responsibility for these other issues. And so I whipped out his comment at the very end of the debate, and I said, "You're you're a coward and a hypocrite. You, look at what you 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 give more grace." to BLM Incorporated, that, that, whose founders say that they're kind of like uh, demon worshipers and trained Marxists, than you do to your own people who are trying to end abortion. And, and so I, I've been identifying and seeing some of this for a long time, but like I, I want to get into kind of the nitty gritty and maybe we'll talk about some, ex some examples that kind of um, illustrate this problem. But the problem is something you've been talking about for a while, it's, it, which is something like this. Why, where, are, where are men with chests? Um, you know, where, where are leaders who actually have the clarity and are willing to stand for it? Like, why do we continue to see people who historically have said all the right things? Um, and so that could be Rick Warren, Ed Stetzer, Russell Moore, David French, Tim Keller. I mean, JD Greer, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but like, but when it's actually time to stand for ideas that you've, you've linguistically, um, supported, you either cave like a cheap suit or you you actually start paying lip service to um, unorthodox uh, pagan ideas or or um, premises of the culture of death, um, and, and maybe we could like get into some examples. But like in terms of what you do at your podcast and and helping the church understand ideas and why to be careful with the people you listen to and how we got here. Like, I guess what would be your introductory comments if you were giving a lecture on, on, on social justice versus Christianity uh, or, or the history of uh, orthodoxy in the church? Like how do we start walking into these waters that I think, at least in my experience, speaking in a lot of churches, John, are actually really overwhelming and frustrating for lay people in the church uh, and and lay people in the pro-life movement because they're everywhere they look around they're disappointed right yeah that's a problem uh, so I, I mean that, that's one of the reasons I wrote this book so so I would say start here if you have time if you don't have time and I'm just giving a, a, a talk I would probably um I, I would start where I start in the book which is look around you just see hmm. isn't there something wrong <laughs> do you do you notice uh maybe provide some specific examples of that and then um, tie it to the social justice movement and what that has over the course of years. So, so I like to go back into history and, and look at how these things have uh, played out. So I start with the French Revolution, but I, I, I really yeah. boil it down to three basic things social justice does. One is um, there's an egalitarian impulse it has, meaning there's this impulse for fairness, equality, 
Um, we call it equity, diversity, inclusion today, but that right. there's this almost utopian state that we can get to somehow. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that there's a belief that certain institutions are holding it back. The church is holding it back. Families are holding it back. They pass on their generational wealth. It's not fair. Uh, you know, police departments are holding it back because uh, they prevent certain uh, demographics from achieving the American dream and others they allow to do that. So, so there's things like this. Um, and then uh, the only solution is to come up with this, uh, a, a, I guess, a bully that can beat up all the other bullies. So you would have, in this case, usually the government come in. And in order to eliminate all these disparities that supposedly exist between people groups, the government uh, creates the biggest disparity that's ever been achieved in the course of history, where you have an all-powerful, all to, you know, totalitarian, almost godlike government versus just an individual and you know now they've stripped you of all those voluntary associations and mediating institutions that could have protected you mm. and so that's i think the uh the telos or well it's the it, it's the end goal of social justice is to create this utopian outlook but really what they end up creating is the biggest disparity ever with the most uh potential for harm and damage and of course the 20th century shows us with the different iterations of this that of course, that's exactly what happens. People die and it gets bad. So uh, I, I trace that through different movements because those impulses are present in BLM. They're present in Me Too. They're present in um, even some of the COVID stuff. I saw this, uh, the, the same things are coming out. Um, you see it with environmental justice. You, you just see it all over the place with the, the homosexual stuff. It, it's, it's all there. And, um, and, and so once people identify that, once Christians can see clearly, oh, that's why uh, they're so uh, aggressive and they want and, and their their policies look this way and they're trying to uh, rip on my church or rip on my faith. This is the reason for it. And once they see that, I think um, identifying the problem is that first step that that helps them then form an answer. And the answer, of course, is found in Christianity. Uh, there's obviously I, I'm a Christian and I make no bones about that. So I uh, frame social justice as a religion. That's the subtitle of my book. So I show that it has Good. its own holy books. It has its own uh, perspectives that cannot be challenged because they're infallible. It's got its own priests, its own saints. Yeah, uh, saint, yeah, saints. You know, George Floyd cannot be questioned as far as his morality is concerned. He's a saint. He's um, they they have their own uh, their activism and their their um, what they teach at universities end up, ends up being like their seminaries and their evangelism. Mm -hmm. And so there's parallels all over the place. Um, born again is getting woke, right? I mean, so <laughs> I, I try to point out these things and then say, look, you already have a religion. You, if you're a Christian, at least, right. You, you already, um, all, all of these holes that supposedly social justice is filling, there's already a placeholder there. So you already have a holy book. It's called the Bible, right. <laughs> and, and you get your information about, uh, life and godliness from that book. You, uh, you already have um, a pastor. You don't need these sociologists to function in the way your pastor functions. You already have uh, saints. Um, and I'm not talking in the Catholic sense here. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that um, all Christians, uh, I think, are saints. And we have role models that we've been given as well uh, to look back on. And and it's about inner virtue. It's not about a, a victimology of some kind, right? So So I start pointing all of these kinds of things out. And then people realize the the play that's being made on them. They realize that they're being asked to give up the most precious thing for for a substitute, for something that looks a little familiar, for something that might mm. be feels a little familiar, 
but it's very different and it leads to a different place. It leads, it's the road to perdition. It's not the, uh, it doesn't ascend into heaven. And, um, and so it, it, is it some work to explain this? Sure. But if a Christian is going to go to school, especially if they start out going to like kindergarten and first grade, I mean, how many hours of indoctrination are they getting their entire life? And if they continue yeah. to college and grad school and, and they watch entertainment, I mean, how many hours of indoctrination? So it's going to take a little bit of time for me to try to point out all to rewire in a sense, all the things that have been yeah. misplaced there. Yeah. 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 So, because um, the the activist media in particular and the our public health uh, bureaucracy, non-accountable, unaccountable, unelected <laughs> agencies that seem to govern us, <clears throat> govern us, they, they've been, you know, uh, they've established their authority through the veneer of scientific credibility on a lot of issues. And, and whether it's whether it's more like scientific issues or whether it's more kind of, kind of cultural issues that that kind of the media sets the agenda on. Um, so many Christians just kind of they 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 kind of swallow that whole and it just becomes kind of part of their lexicon. And and I've always attributed this, John, I'd love to get your thoughts to uh, a lack of moral teaching from the pulpit. Um, like I, I think most of the issues that the the country and the church are facing today stem from a lack of moral teaching from the pulpit. Um, you could call that the full counsel of God. You you know you could call it applied applied religion or applied morality. But I mean, it's like, well, here's what we believe. Here's what's happening in the world, <laughs> and here's how you can make sense of it through your Christian worldview, through your lenses. But very few pastors actually do that, and so Christians end up imbibing um kind of the 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 premises the priorities um and the tenets of the culture of death and and i've just experienced this just within the pro-life movement in small examples like i've told christians before john from stage that abortion's never medically necessary to save mom's life you just induce early labor with pitocin or perform a cesarean section and they look at me like like a deer in the headlights. They're like, that can't be true. No, no, abortion is, no, sometimes abortion is necessary to save mom's life. I'm like, well, who have you been listening to? What the heck are you talking about? Like, we've known that's not the case for decades, but that's just one example uh, of the of the kind of, it's like we're speaking a different language. And, and so this is why my pastor Rob McCoy says that the church, out, the church seems to wait downstream to pick up human heartache that they helped create through their political apathy upstream. And, and so the Christians, uh, citizens fall into the, the, the streams of liberalism, let's call it, John. They flow downstream and it starts to become all that they know. But then they start to experience heartache, pain, regret from bad ideas, from lifestyles, from life choices. And we launch our 501c3 Ministries of Mercy downstream to clutch them out and try to put the pieces back together of their life instead of going upstream and contending against where those bad ideas, policies, and worldviews come from in the first place. But but this is like too deep thinking for most um, uh, pastors in the country right now. And so I, I want to get like super applicable with you, John, because I've done I've done a whole episode on 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 uh, Tim Keller before as well as as Stetzer, but I want to get into to some of this because. Um, of the the damage that 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 some churches and leaders can have when they imbibe some of those faulty premises and ideas. And so you, I'm sure you're aware of this, but I just want to like summarize it for our listeners because I actually I kind of want your theological and historical insights and perspective on this. So Keller, for example, who's you know who's passed on, 
Um, he he has this um, Facebook post from 2020, and he says, um, the Bible tells me that abortion is a sin and a great evil, but it doesn't tell me the best way to decrease or end abortions, nor which policies are most effective. The current political parties offer a potpourri of positions on these and many other issues, most of which the Bible does not speak to directly. This means when it comes to voting, taking political positions, and determining alliances, the Christian has liberty of conscience. Liberty of conscience. So in other words, he's saying, ah, political party, the left, the right, they, they both have good things, they both have bad things. But the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt um, pursue an immediatist strategy. Thou shalt pursue an incrementalist strategy. Like Keller's saying, the Bible doesn't give us political prescriptions on strategies for ending abortion. So the Christian has liberty of conscience to vote for whoever the hell he wants. That was his post on Facebook in 2020. Right. And then he's got this New York Times piece called, you, I'm sure you remember this one, brother. How do Christians fit into a two-party system? Yes. They don't. They right. don't. That was the title of it. And now and I'm about to punt back to you, but he says in there, he goes after churches in the 1850s, John, who were allowing slavery. And 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 he kind of rips them a new one, actually. Um, and 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 he said that like to to speak out against these these moral atrocities is not optional, that the Christian actually must do this. Um, and he actually went after people who said they weren't political. This is where it gets like the hypocrisy and the double standard becomes like wild. He, he, he actually says like churches who said who didn't want to speak out against these egregious moral uh, violations or whatever, because that was what we today call getting political. He says they were actually being political and they had they had they were to blame for some of the evils like slavery at the time. And then he has a line in there. He says, because to not be political is to be political, to which I've always said, now do unborn babies, Tim, right? But, but see, but he yes. was a registered Democrat and he voted for the very people lynching black babies in the womb, whose bloodshed, I guess, doesn't matter as much as the enslaved bodies of born black men in the 1850s. But like, that's an example of kind of what I'm talking about. Um, and, and yet these are the kind of men, like you said earlier, John, who, who say they're pro-life. Like they say that they support the goals of the pro-life movement, but their actions don't reveal that at all. And so like, how do we think through how someone like that, who, who was called the C.S. Lewis of the 21st century, um, right. who, who I think God did use powerfully in many ways with some of his books, uh, like Reason for God and, and, um, and others, meaning, uh, you know, problem, uh, the, the pain one, suffering and, and the meaning of marriage and all this stuff. But like, what kind of ideas bring someone that brilliant to such a stupid, asinine conclusion? Uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm prepared to answer what makes Tim Keller uh, uh, stupid in, in a sense. I don't think he's stupid. That's the thing. Like, um, I said a stupid, asinine yeah, conclusion. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's, he, he was very smart. But like, how, like, help us arrange some of these pieces. Like, because it's to me, it's so confusing, as is the new Stetzer hire at Biola. Like, yeah. how do we make sense of that? Um, historically, I, I think I've made sense of it by reading and, uh, and trying to understand the neo-evangelical impulse, which, um, define I, that for us. So, so, yeah, I'm about to. So in 1947, there was a book written by Carl Henry, um, who I think by many accounts is a, a good theologian and, and had a lot of positive contributions. I think most people, uh, who probably create some of the bad, uh, ideas and situations we're dealing with now, uh, they were actually like they had good motives at the beginning. Right. So they didn't see where their ideas would lead. But with mm -hmm. Carl Henry, 
and Harold Ockinga, who wrote the foreword to this book, which is called The Uneasy Conscience of Modern Fundamentalism. Uh, they th that's seen as like the the charter document for the neo fund neo uh, evangelical movement, and they launched Fuller Seminary. They launched, um, I, I would hmm. say, they influenced Wheaton College quite a bit. They 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 launched Gordon uh, Conwell. They um, they launched Christianity Today. Billy Graham was involved in that. Really, I mean, Carl Henry was was a very really influential man. And so if you hmm. if you look at though what he says in that book, like there's a line from the foreword where Harold Ockinga says basically like he, he talks about a man who was praying and he found christ on his knees it said but he was a uh he, he was a liberal he was a progressive basically socially speaking and that hmm. and, and they he, he holds this up as a good thing and then if you read the book um carl henry basically has this vision for the church producing very influential leaders who are going to have the respect that's been lost because if you remember at that time over the past few decades during the industrial revolution pastors had been once seen as like the the pillars of the community and they yeah. had gone from that to now they're replaced by psychologists when you have a problem you don't go to the pastor you go to the psychologist and and of course social justice mm -hmm. also um has has a part to play in this uh pastors don't really know uh the the ingredients that make for a good society we need to leave that to the sociologists and so they lost all this respect. And so the question was, like, do we do the fundamentalist thing where we go back into a corner and we build our own Bible institutes, but we only teach the Bible and we only do ministry and we or do we engage with these other things? And, and I think it, it was right to try to at least try engage with some of these other things. But the promise was or the hope was that in so doing, evangelicals would regain acceptance. Right. So they would once again have that cherished position of being leaders in the community. And that did not happen the way that Carl Henry thought it was possibly going to happen. He thought if you send a pastor to Fuller, that pastor is going to learn psychology. They're going to learn sociology, and then they're going to be respected by the world. You could drop them in any city in the, in, in, across the world and they'll have respect. They'll know what they're talking about. That's just not the case. Um, and so this hunger for acceptance from the world, I would say, is what it's become, has influenced every neo-evangelical organization and figure. It's influenced Mark wow. Knoll. It's influenced the Gospel Coalition. Of course, Christianity Today is the poster child for this with Russell Moore at the right. helm. Um, Carl Henry, interestingly enough, signed the Chicago Declaration in 1973, which if you read it, it's basically a woke document. It sounds almost exactly like what we were facing in 2020. Really? He, he signed it. And then he went back and he said when in it got 70s. This was in 1973. Yes. Whoa, so it was the same oh, year wow. that Roe v. Wade. Yeah. They, they wrote this statement. And um, if you read it, it basically says it doesn't say the, the term white privilege, but that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the crime in inner cities, the the what police do. It's it's all the the social justice package from 2020, and um, a number of very prominent evangelicals signed this. But Carl Henry signed it, and then he went back and he kind of trashed it. So he like did this like he he, he wanted it to, to be in both worlds. He wanted these younger hip evangelicals who were on the social progressive chain uh, uh, train, and they were activists. He wanted to kind of be with them, but he also wanted to make sure that. We, we understood that they could go too far, so we didn't want to go too far. And so he, I think he really pursued this moderation and and he, he pursued popularity. That's that's the whole problem with neo-evangelicalism. It's the pursuit of popularity. And, mm -hmm. and once you make that your goal, you're pleasing men, you're not pleasing God. 
And whatever the current political issue is, you're always going to have some nuanced, ridiculous take that is that that sounds weak and effeminate and doesn't actually uh, it doesn't inspire Christians in any way other than to, I guess, bury their head in the sand or something like. Interesting. So, so I think and interestingly, one last thing, because I, I know you probably have, have something to say no. about all this. Keep but um, with Tim Keller, it's interesting. The example you gave, I think you were brilliant with which pointing out the hypocrisy of thinking that, oh, so so on slavery, it's this way, but not on um, the unborn. But but here, there is actually a difference. It's actually worse for today, in my opinion, much worse. And, and, and in one this is one way in which it's worse, at least during the times when slavery was in this country. You had open debates about the right way to uh, get rid of it, basically. So you had like progressive emancipationists, you had abolitionists, you had these. And, and, it, and of course, they're not it wasn't um, at least in theory, it wasn't legal to kill your slave. Right. But, sure. but they at least you might be able to justify, in a sense, voting for someone, let's say, who was more on that progressive emancipationist side. I could see an argument for it. I can't, thou shalt not murder. I can't see any argument. For the Democrat Party, they, they don't even have a goal of getting the number of abortions down. That's not That's their right. party platform. They are they're not on the same team trying to reduce abortions. That's a lie. They want to increase abortions. They want you to have sanctuary states now because of the overturning of Roe, where yep. you go. I'm I'm in one of them, so I know I see the advertisements for it. Come to New York and kill your baby. And I'm sorry, there is no justification for a Christian to think that, well. I can just plug that into my moral compass and that somehow will fit into reducing the number of babies aborted. There's no logical path I can see to get there. Um, it, it's yeah, just- Yeah, but John, John, oh. Phil Vischer, no, Phil Vischer told me, he told me in a viral conversation with Lecrae and others on YouTube that because they're so pro-life, they vote for Democrats because haven't you seen the follow the science data, John? Democrat policies decrease the abortion rate and Republican ones increase it because Democrat Party policies address the underlying socioeconomic causes that leads a woman to pay a hitman to kill her baby in the first place. And so it's because I'm so pro-life that I voted for Hillary Clinton, John. That's what yeah. Phil Vischer told me. Right. So so they have this assumption that the underlying causes are always this. Uh, it's always poverty. So it's they, they take right. it out of the realm of morality and like no one's putting a gun to people's head. I mean, I shouldn't say no one, but hardly anyone's putting a gun to someone's head and saying you must get an abortion. Right. This is something that uh, you voluntarily choose as you go into yep. the clinic or whatever. So um, it, it, it's not the same thing. I don't care how poor you are. Uh, you have an option. You also have resources like. Um, I know many of the the resources that you're connected with, uh, Seth. I was actually just with Love Life a few weeks ago, so oh, they, they're 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 doing those. You know, I was in Manhattan. They had sidewalk Wonderful. counselors right there, ready to tell all these women, "We have a, a, there's an option. We'll, we'll figure it out." Like, yep. th there's Christians that are willing to um, help bear this burden, and um and and so it's not like a foregone conclusion that you must get an abortion. And I think that's what that assumes when Phil Vischer does that that bit. It's like well, I was so poor, I had to do it. It's like, no, yep. you never had to do it. You never had to do it. And if that's really the case, then I guess it's a good argument for give your money to some charities that are doing good work in the pro-life world. 
That's a great argument, Phil. And and for, for that, <laughs> it's not an argument for now rip the money out of people who earned it through their hard-earned labor, steal it from them, and give it to people who are irresponsible. Because guess what that does? And we learned this from the Great Society. It, it'll create more yes. abortions in the Talk long Talk about end. that. It will create more uh, fatherless homes, and it incentivizes out-of-wedlock pregnancies. So then the government can come in and be the, basically the daddy. Um, that's a horrible situation. That, that's a situation where morality, I mean, look at the, the areas where this is, uh, these policies have most taken effect. Those areas are ridden with crime, and they're not getting any better because you threw money at it. So Phil yeah. Vischer's solution will actually lead to more poverty, to more out-of-wedlock births, to more abortions, to more fatherlessness, to more gang violence. Uh, the police will have to come in more, which is what he says is the worst thing. His his solutions are <laughs> worse than the uh, – the, the, well, let's just say the cure is worse than the disease in this case. Yeah, yeah. So – I, I mean, John, couldn't you almost call it the the soft bigotry of low expectations? Sure. Yeah. Right. Because it's kind of how it seems like it's almost how Keller, Lecrae, Phil Vischers, and others. It seems like that's almost how they view the poor and the minorities who who they statistically correct when they identify obtain a disproportionate amount of the abortions, and, and but yet they 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 vote for and support the very party and politicians that have made it one of their platform sacraments to kill babies who point to birth, fund it with your tax dollars, and arrest pro-life sidewalk counselors and threaten to remove the medical licenses of OBGYNs who don't want to perform abortions. Right. And they say, that's okay, though, right? Because don't you see, I'm addressing these underlying socioeconomic causes. It seems like the assumption is that that these 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 families that they're uh, assuming, um, th these families in question are so poor and weak of spirit and mind that they have no alternative. Well, it, it's but, like, but the abortion. So let's just let's right. let's let's alleviate the financial difficulties, so they won't feel like they had to, or were forced into getting the abortion. And so once again, it seems like what they critique white evangelical America of being <laughs> is actually what they are. They're kind of a bigot. It's kind of a really like oh yeah low view of the human person. <laughs> Well, it reminds me like I, I, this is uh, a little unrelated, but it, it, I think it parallels in some ways because um, it just recently happened in my experience. And you've probably met kids who were uh, brats, you know, before <laughs> and just behaving horribly and, and just, you know, monsters. And um, so I, I saw this kid who was kind of a monster. And uh, anyway, the, the person who was basically in charge of, of this child, I'm trying to not give too many big just for people who might listen, who uh, who know me um, and, and might sure. figure it out. Um this the person who was the guardian will say uh ends up just giving this kid tons of sugar letting this kid you know be on video games and ipad and whatever and unrestricted and, and the argument is that if i don't do this the kid's going to throw a temper tantrum right mm -hmm. so to prevent that bad thing from happening we're going to incentivize that very bad thing because the more sugar you give this kid the more um, entertainment and so forth, the more of a brat they become. And so you're, right. you're actually making the problem much, much worse. And, and behind all of this is a an attitude of, I don't want to be bothered with that. I don't want to be inconvenienced by a temper tantrum, right? I don't want to be inconvenienced with a baby, we'll say as a parallel. I don't want to be, let's just get rid of it. I don't want, and, and also this kind of, like you said, low expectations, like we shouldn't expect children to behave, right? We shouldn't expect people to actually take responsibility. In the case of, of, of abortion, it's like, why? 
Why don't we hold them to a higher standard? They're moral beings. They're capable. Yep. God's given them a law. Why do we expect that they're monkeys or something? That's how we're treating them. We're treating them like they're a bunch of monkeys who don't have any moral will. And it's yep. like, no, no, we're not animals. That, that's Darwinian. We are people made in God's image, capable of making moral choices. And we need to be, and we're going to be held accountable by God. So how much more of a mercy is it for us to at least hold people accountable in this life so that they learn how to live rightly before they go into the next life and they stand before God and they will stand before him for all the laws they've broken. Wow. 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 Um, so John, um, I, I, I asked this of, of one or two guests recently, including my buddy, pastor Gary Hamrick of, uh, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Um, and I'm going to ask it of, of you as well <clears throat> because of just kind of the lane God's put you in. But um, I, I, and I shared this on the podcast with, with our listeners uh, recently, but you know, I got, I got uh, quite a bit of heat going after Stetzer, Ed Stetzer, the new Dean of, of Talbot Theological Seminary, which is by, which sits under the umbrella of Biola. It's Biola Seminary. Right. Um, and I, I had spoken out against Stetzer even during the scandemic and everything, because um, and, and if you guys are listening to this, you need to go read Megan Basham's article at The Daily Wire about how the federal government used evangelical leaders to spread COVID propaganda. Or so, the title, something like that. <clears throat> and she identifies uh, David French, uh, Rick Warren, uh, Tim Keller, Ed Stetzer um, and, and Russell Moore in particular. Um for their, can I call it a man crush on Francis Collins? Yes. Um, uh, they all had him on their podcast. They all platformed him. Francis Collins being the disgrace NIH director, National Institutes of Health, Fauci's boss or, or co-equal or whatever. And um, the, all those men had had Collins on the podcast in 2021. Um, he, they, they let him spout lies that we know now are lies. Um, it, 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 anyways, you get, you should go read Megan Basham's article guys, if you're listening to this, but we, we started doing, um, some Instagram carousels on Stetzer's record over the last several years, John, because after he got hired at, at Talbot, I was like, this is unbelievable, man. Uh, this is wild. What is going on right now? Um, and, and some of those things just to like briefly put a window on it. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he, he said that if you were sharing the lab leak theory, <clears throat> um, or, or that this was a bioweapon, <clears throat> Uh, that you were uh, you needed to repent as a Christian because you were harming your Christian witness by lying. Um, and then when it became clear, it came out of the Wuhan Institute. Um, he, he I guess he called up his friends at Christianity Today. And uh, that article is no longer on the Internet where where Stetzer said that. Um, but but the thing with Francis Collins was Francis Collins is is um, let's use one of Richard Weikert's terms. He's he's one of the architects of the culture of death. Um, I mean, this guy's like a high priest of humanism, right. actually, is what I call him. We're talking like we're talking funding University of Pittsburgh, scalping the heads of third trimester aborted babies and putting them subcutaneously on lab rats to create humanized mice. Oh, and, then, and then and then and then and uh, then Judicial Watch through a FOIA, John, gets the photos of the lab rats growing infant human hair, the hair that should have grown on that precious little image bearer baby growing on the back of lab rats. Um, funded by Fauci and Francis Collins. Tax dollars going to the University of Pittsburgh. That's Collins, John. Uh, Francis Collins attended the signing of Obama's executive order uh, overturning the ban 
on taxpayer dollars being used for embryonic stem cell research. He, um, he's devoted record-level funding to embryonic stem cell research, and Francis Collins has called for record-level funding of fetal organ harvesting and fetal tissue research. But then it gets even weirder and kookier and darker, man. Then Megan Basham finds, and she documents it all in her article at Daily Wire, guys, that the former National Institutes of Health director, who Stetzer called a Christian, a brother, and he said, you know how grateful I am for you. Dr. Collins on on the on the church leader Stetzer podcast. Francis Collins was using taxpayer dollars to fund the mastectomies, chopping the breasts off of healthy 13-year-old girls who thought they were boys. He funded research and studies at the NIH to track the homosexual anal sex activity of teenage boys on an app without parental consent or knowledge. He called himself an ally of the LGBTQ community. And I have an article where Francis Collins told an interviewer that, quote, he does not definitely believe that human life begins at conception. So that's a little bit. That's a little window on Francis Collins. Now, you're using your platform as Tim Keller, Rick Warren. Uh, Ed Stetzer, David French, and Russell Moore, to have this man on your podcast, to praise him, to call him a brother, to thank him for his work, and to say, will you tell us puny little stupid Christians who can't think for ourselves, of course, obviously I'm, I'm embellishing, um, how we should think about COVID and, and the virus and the jab because we're so dumb. I guess go, to connect it back to what you said, John, right? The, 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 the disciplines, the academic disciplines that the church needed to learn in order to enhance their witness in the public square to look credible and, and in, in the know about these things. That's who Francis Collins is, brother. And when this all comes out, how many of those five men I just talked about apologized for, for advancing his lies and platforming his lies, repented for their association with wickedness, acknowledged the wrongdoing. None of them. Not a single one of them. Right. Stetzer's now the dean at Talbot. I get heat from some men I won't say right now, but I get heat from Christian leaders, Christian authors, elders at a church I used to go to um, because one of them teaches at Biola. And I'm like, why aren't you talking out about this? And, and, and then it's like, it's me. It's my rhetoric. It's how mean I am. Right, um, right. I'm I'm sowing division amongst the brethren, apparently. Um, meanwhile, Christian leaders who who men and women that you and I know look to, they read their books, they buy their books, they gift their books to their teenage boys as they enter manhood, and they get these books by Rick Warren and Ed Stetzer and Russell Moore and all this stuff. And this is the kind of wickedness they're associated with. And there's it's it's crickets. It's crickets when we learn the kind of Darwinian, Margaret Sanger, Joseph Mengele kind of evil they've been up to and there's no apologies there's nothing and we're supposed to just think right. that ed stetzer is gonna take talbot in a great direction so so uh, here's the question john as long as you just articulate the gospel uh correctly in the linguistic format that's a that's that's acceptable can you do whatever the hell you want well, and and if and if john harris calls you out on it john harris is the problem <laughs> because as long as you articulate the gospel correctly linguistically you can live and do whatever the hell you want right is that a biblical thing i mean uh, am i losing my <laughs> mind here well no because because there are, you can articulate the gospel and and you i mean we, we have categories in scripture for people who articulate it preach it from wrong motives we have categories for people who articulate it but then they add something to it like the judaizers um i think though with ed stetzer he, he, i don't know if that he actually articulates it well i mean i'm sure there's circumstances where he has where he gives you a basic rudimentary, here's the good news. But he says things like this. Um, he said, scripture teaches us to be people who are so shaped by the gospel that we live as good news by engaging in social justice. What does that mm -hmm. mean? 
Like he he has a lot of quotes like this where he basically says Say that again. Um this is from uh my books Christianity and Social Justice. Uh he says scripture teaches us to be people who are so shaped by the gospel that we live as good news. In other words, as the gospel, we're the gospel incarnate who are uh, uh by engaging in social justice. So um Ed Stetzer's also said, you know, things like uh, and this has actually been for a long time, but that basically social justice uh, is part of the gospel. You know, he, he creates this confusion over what the gospel is. So I don't know that we can fairly say he articulates the gospel rightly, at least consistently. Maybe there are, I'm sure there's times he has, right. but even on that question, I think he's a little spotty. Um, and of course he's politically left. He he's, I, I don't even know, like on, on every issue, it seems like he, he signed like the 2017, um, refugee ban thing uh, that a bunch of leftist <laughs> Christians like Jim Wallace were all signing and he signed oh, right, it right, right. Uh, to to say that, that you know Trump is terrible Trump's racist um, I mean he's he's been on the forefront I think of introducing the critical theory stuff into many major uh, institutions he, he marched with BLM um, in wow. 2020 so he doesn't have a problem associating with those people he does tend to scrub things like he had a uh, he had a website called the Church in COVID nineteen I think or, or the Church in coronavirus. coronavirus and the Church yeah coronavirus, coronavirus and the Church right and basically the whole point was it, it said I think that there was like a subtitle trusted voices in the Church or something and like the whole point of the website was hey look at all these Christian leaders here telling you to get the jab shut down your church wear the mask and yeah. it is like that that was the point of the hmm. uh, to to get Christians I think that's his role is to get Christians to try to, um, to to ingratiate themselves to the world somehow, to figure out a, a path. And, and I think, to, to be fair, I think this is a survival strategy. I think this is like, well, we see the writing on the wall. Things are getting bad for Christians, but maybe what we can do is try to convince our enemies that we're really not that much of a threat. And someone <laughs> like a Francis Collins is, is a neo-evangelical hero because wow. he's done what they've all wanted, right? They all want that approval. They mm. worship it. They want... Um, the world to love them, and that's a place the place at the table. That's the whole neo-evangelical project is to try wow. to get Christians back into the driver's seat as shapers of public opinion and so forth. And so here comes Francis Collins. He's very accomplished, and he's also supposedly an evangelical Christian. And so that is just bait for these people. Like these, pe he's going to be platformed in all those places because they're they they see it as this is the. Uh, the goal. This is the person to hold up to say everyone else try to be more like Francis Collins to be so you could be loved by the world. You can keep your job. You can keep your faith, and that's how we'll protect Christianity. I I think that's that's what's going on. That's my guess, at least with with studying and reading these people for years. Um, you know, some of them might have some decent motives. I I tend to think there's a lot of evil going on though because there's they have no problem partnering with. Um, I think, as you just rightly said, uh, wickedness at times, like, yeah, like, like they'll, they try to get, I think the goal is to try to get as close to that line as they can without going over, but they end up crossing the line when you make that the goal. And um, with, with, I think the most direct thing with Francis Collins is you platformed a guy who lied about the, the COVID stuff. So like at the very least, maybe you should come out and say, even if you didn't know about all the other stuff you talk about, and even if that, you know, wasn't a, whatever, um, he, at the very purpose you platformed him, the, the, the reason you had him on your show is to talk about this issue that now we realize 
is he was wrong about. So you should yeah. at least say we were we goofed, like mm. we made a mistake, uh, or or we don't agree with that anymore, or so, something, right? Yeah, there's yep. nothing. There's nothing. Just triples down. Yeah. Right. Well, right. and according to Stetzer's own standard, John, when he wrote the article about how Christians needed to repent for lying because lying harms your Christian witness. Uh, I guess he had no public critiques of Francis <laughs> Collins who publicly lied, right? It's like, it's the typical, what do we say? Like these people only punch right. They never punch left, right? They right. only, they only punch conservatives. They never punch the left. Um, so uh, as we kind of wind down brother, cause we have to, but I wish, I wish we could talk for two hours, but, um, uh, I I actually feel like um some of some of this stuff is actually adding to the gospel like it is a false gospel. Um and I think you you kind of explain how social justice is a different Christian is a different religion. Um really well in your book and so I, I encourage people to go get it. But when he wrote that piece at USA Today, I think, Stetzer and it was called the subtitle was If you love your neighbor, you have to get the vaccine. That was right. the subtitle of the article, John. Huh. Now, to me, and I want because you know your history and theologian background. I want your I want your clarity, your theological um, kind of comment on this. But am I right, or am I just like an idiot because I went to Westmont College? Like to me, that seems like adding to the law. Because if he's right, if he's correct, a person would have would go to hell for not getting the vaccine. I guess he's making it a violation of the law of God. Yeah. Um, which by, it seems to me that's, he's just a Pharisee. Uh, am I, am I too <laughs> reductionistic or is that, is that, uh, what do you think? Well, I, I think you're, you're, um, sensing something that that is off. If you, you said the, the, that was the problem with the Pharisees is they substituted the laws of God for their own, right? They, they created a standard that they felt, felt they could keep. Um, and, and they sidelined what God had actually told them to do and they found their righteousness in it too. They, so, so with Stetzer doing that, I think he is trying to take this broad category of loving neighbor, and then he's specifically applying that. He's injecting it into uh, get the vax, and and that rests right. on a bunch of assumptions that this is effective, that uh, all all kinds of things now that we know weren't exactly accurate, and um and and so I think yeah, Phariseeism would be a good. Uh, I I think there's a legalism there if you're trying to. Um, bind. I mean, it, we, we just talked in the beginning of this about binding consciences and how terrible right. that is. Well, you're binding believers consciences. You're actually doing that in the, in this case hmm. by telling them that th that's part of their duty to love neighbor. It's worse when you start saying that's part of the gospel. And Stetzer, um, like, like I said on the quote that I gave you earlier about social justice, he has done that kind of thing too, where he links it to the gospel somehow and says like, you, you will be you'll be the embodiment of the good news of the gospel by doing social justice. It's like social, but the gospel was never about works. Like that's the, that's part of the problem here. Right. So yeah. you start inserting works into it, your human works, not Christ's work. Then you're, you've left the gospel. You're talking about something else. Maybe you're talking about the fruit of the gospel. Maybe you're talking about, I don't know, uh, the law, but you're not talking about the, the good news of what Christ yeah. has done. So I, I think you're right, Seth, in that, like, like if, if Stetzer was right here on the interview, I doubt he would come on with you, but it, let's say he was, um, he would probably deny it. He'd probably say, no, no, no. I believe, you know, the gospel is, is through faith alone by grace alone. But the problem is um, he says things like that, that are confusing. And if you look at like the book of, uh, of Galatians, for example, Paul condemns, not just, he, he doesn't just say anathema to those who preach another gospel. He confronts Peter for being, doing what? Confusing the gospel. 
So mm-hmm. if you want to say, I, I think Stetzer and his ilk are actually in the Judaizer camp, but let's say you want to defend them and say, no, 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 because they say this over here and this is okay. At the very least, you have to at least be open to the possibility here. You have to admit that he's confusing the issue. And if he's confusing the issue, he must repent. If he doesn't yeah. repent, then he himself is is suspect. We shouldn't trust him. We shouldn't give him any positions that would influence other Christians because he doesn't even have Christianity one-on-one down. Wow. So I, I think you're right. Wow. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not losing my mind. I, I told you off air, John, um, uh, that, and for people listening, I mean, like, I, you know, I've had actually like relational rifts now, like relationships broken because I have two Instagram posts that are carousels um, about Stetzer's record after he was hired as the Dean of Talbot. And, and one of those people, John told me for the, for the listeners, <clears throat> cause you know, who I'm talking about told me um, that I disagree with how you framed this Seth. And I don't believe you'll listen to me while I'm literally saying, I'll listen to you. And I want to have a conversation about, about Stetzer as the new Dean of Talbot, but because of how I framed it and what were my only comments, the Instagram posts, go see them guys. I'm just detailing his record. And then I called him a high priest of humanism. So maybe, I don't know. Maybe that was a little bit too, but like, yeah, he's, he's associating himself with the architects of our current culture of death. He's, he's of the high priest of humanism of the theocracy of liberalism that we're living under. He's praising these men. He's celebrating them. He's calling them Christian brothers. But I asked for a conversation from Stetzer, right? I tweet about him on Twitter. He blocks me from his Twitter, right? Like he's not going to have these conversations with people because I think he knows deep down one of two things. One, either he knows his position is indefensible or two, deep, deep down, he fears he's a coward. And, and I actually think that this is uh, something, and I, we have to wind down, but I think this is something that like we don't talk enough about, actually. I think you told me the other day, John, this was so powerful. You said, you said I think some of this has less to do with social justice, and it has more to do with the quality of the men in mm-hmm. our institutions of formation in the church. That I think some of these men are actually just cowards, um, and they, they do want crumbs from the table of, of liberalism. Um, right. They want to be tossed the, the scraps from, from the filet mignon, um, from, you know, Fran- from Francis Collins. Uh, but deep down, they're just cowards. They, they actually won't stand for what they say they believe. And then I become the problem who's causing the rift because I'm, I'm critiquing things that were said and done publicly. I'm publicly addressing things that were said and done publicly, but I'm the problem. And so one of the elders at a church I used to go to, who, who sometimes teaches at, at Biola, you know, you told me, John, he said to have this conversation with you, Seth, would be like throwing pearls before swine for me. Hmm. Um, all because I expose some of the stuff we're talking about. So um, what, what would be kind of your final comments, I guess, on just the state of evangelicalism currently? in the country and 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 maybe uh like a, a word of encouragement to believers who maybe maybe they still can't find a faithful church where they live in their in their in their county or city and they they just want to see courage and they just want to see faithfulness um and, and maybe what can they do yeah good question uh they always get you on style points so it's never <laughs> substance it's always going to be that person is insensitive or that person, uh, you know, he doesn't look the way that we should look, or something like that. Or you, you were mean when you said it, um, and 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 so it prevents having an actual good faith conversation because you're caught in these secondary things that don't really amount to much. Um, I've seen that strategy deployed. I don't know how many times that that seems like it's 
I almost wonder whether there's like a training session that <laughs> everyone like gets together and they learn like, okay, here's how to deflect when you're criticized. Uh, but a lot of Christians are in the same exact position that you are in uh, with trying to confront this and then hitting brick walls. Um, right. They're relationship ending things. Um, some some people tell me that like the pastor that I've had for, you know, 10 years or whatever, I, I am now on the outs with and I'm leaving the church and it is breaking my heart. And this is where I was baptized. And um, or, you know, it could be the pastor seeing his parishioners leave because of something like this. And so it, it really there is this kind of like great sort going on where people are moving from uh, blue states to red states if they're conservative. But there's also, I think, a bigger sort going on within local communities where people are even saying, you know, I don't know if that infant baptism thing is as important to me as like I, I want a church that's actually open, <laughs> you know, or a church that's actually like preaching yeah. the gospel and, and my church isn't. And so like a Presbyterian is going to go to a Baptist church, like things mm -hmm. like this are happening in real time. There's new alignments um, taking wow. shape. And I would just say that it, it, recognize your part of that. Recognize if you're a Christian listening that you are living at an exciting time in history. And and yes, there's sin. There's always been sin. There's always been challenges, no matter what point in history you're at. But this is the time for men to stick out and to stand up and to um, have a clarion call because the culture is evil. And, and in some ways, the culture has never been more evil. Uh, like, like some of the transhuman yeah. talk, transhumanism talk I hear and stuff is downright scary. We've never been here before. Yeah. So uh, transgenderism and other things. So I, I just think that like this is an exciting time to stand for God. I mean, if, if you uh, ever read as a child the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach at Abednego, uh, now wow. you, and you've wondered, cool. can I live at those times? I wish if only I had been there. Well, you are. You mm. are living at those times. Um, and and so behave accordingly. You're going to be judged for it. Keep eternity in mind. Uh, finding local churches is hard. Um, if you can move to a church that shares your concerns, that sees what you're seeing, then do it. I was just talking to a pastor this morning who's in Pella, Iowa, and many people have come to his church because mm. they had, couldn't find a church in their area. Wow. And so there's a lot of places like that, or maybe God wants you to start the church. That could be. Um, I know people that have done this, uh, even as laymen. Uh, but don't ever give up. Don't give up on church. Don't give up on God. I, I truly believe that he's got his people all over the place, and um, and he can use you to be the spark that if it's not, you know, if, if the problem is there aren't men in your community, be that man. Stand yeah. up, and and that'll attract. It's infectious. People will be attracted to that. And um, so, so anyway, yeah, I mean, it, I, I wish I had something more. Like, I wish I could say like, Seth, uh, we're going to win the election and it's going to change <laughs> everything. And all these people are going to lose their positions of authority and be replaced <laughs> with great folks. But I can't, I don't, right, I, right. you know, that'd be great. Let's pray for that. But um, we just got to be faithful in what the Lord has put in front of us and given us charge over. That's good. Awesome, John. Well, thank you, brother. Um, hey, guys, go subscribe to Conversations That Matter podcast. If you like watching shows, go to YouTube, Conversations That Matter, John Harris. Um, and if you kind of just want some fuel and some talking points and you want to start understanding kind of um, how we got to this position and, and, and actually like how this is a warring of religions, like social justice, progressivism. Like if you're a, if you're a progressive Christian, you're not a Christian. Like, and if you actually like want to understand the theological clarity behind that, what did, uh, what did John MacArthur say, John, uh, you don't become 
a theological liberal by reading the Bible, you have to go to school for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you kind of want to understand some of these ideas so that you, listener, are, are like can speak with authority and power um, to these ideologies and issues and maybe wokeism s- sneaking into your community and church, uh, go subscribe to John Harris's podcast. Check out his books on his website. Um, and John, thanks, thanks for your courage. Thanks for... Uh, preaching the full council for addressing all the issues and just for uh, actually just kind of being a, a place of sanity for a lot of believers. And thanks for your time today, brother. My pleasure. I appreciate it, Seth. All right, brother. We'll see you soon. Yep. Thanks for joining the show today, guys. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Will you go subscribe to Rumble for us? I got two strikes on YouTube right now, so we're we're taking a little break uh, before I lose it forever. So go subscribe to Rumble to our YouTube channel there, Seth Gruber. If you want to join the White Rose Resistance and help us rebuild Christian resistance against this kooky culture of death that we kind of touched on today and build resistance circles of Christians engaged in the culture all around the country, Go to thewhiterose.life, www.thewhiterose.life. And if you sign up at $35 a month or more, you'll get resources, you'll get a box, you'll get an activism kit, and you'll join our monthly live call with donors and me all around the country, mobilizing, training, and equipping you to stand for righteousness in these crazy, out-of-control culture of death times. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted.